I just slipped through an exam and you're listening to a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. Controversial former kickboxing world champion Andrew Tate has been all over the internet in the past few weeks, rising to fame on the back of wildly misogynistic comments made on podcasts and in interviews. Tate's social media fame was short-lived, with his 4.3 million follower Instagram account being removed from the site over the weekend. A self-described misogynist, Tate repeatedly repeats, uh, yeah, regularly repeats, sorry, claims about how women should be subservient to men and has compared women to dogs. Further, Tate has been accused of human trafficking and had, has had his house raided in the past as a result of these allegations. There has been much concern raised around the promotion of this content, which seems to be spreading like wildfire among adolescent boys, with teachers and parents reporting his views being repeatedly espoused by young boys aged 10 to 13. The social media app TikTok in particular has come under fire for promoting the content to this age group. I'm joined on the phone now by University of Canterbury law professor Anik Masalo to talk about the role of social media in promoting these misogynistic views. Kia ora, Professor Masalo, it's great to have you on. Kia ora, it's great for you to invite me. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming along. So do you worry that social media promotes these misogynistic views too well, either intentionally or unintentionally? So I would really start by uh, stating the obvious. Uh, the Internet is not an equal space. Um, and we have seen an increase in the level of abuse over the year. Um, and as we see more and more research being done in the area, we see that there is more and more um, uh, abuse and misogynistic um, discourse, discourse that is taking place on the Internet. Um, just last year, an economist uh, um, analysis showed that an average of 85% of women, and they had interviewed over uh, 5,000 women um, uh, uh, over 45 countries, um, this, this uh, sorry, 85% of women had experienced or witnessed online abuse. So this is really an increase on what we saw from the past. Um, and those misogynistic um, behavior, um, they take all sorts of um, um, you know, expression. It goes from bullying to stalking to impersonification to uh, non-consensual pornography, revenge porn. Um, and the most common that we, we find is hate speech against women and online misogyny. So um, this all creates uh, an abusive online environment, in fact. And you're asking whether there is intent, you know, whether the social uh, media, in fact, uh, creates intentionally or unintentionally uh, this misogynistic behavior or environment. Um, I would say from a recipient of those, um, of those views, I'm a little bit uh, not caring so much whether there is intent or not, but it's important in order to design some policy response to that. Um, the reality is that those behaviors are strategic, they're tactics to silence, coerce, control, and harass women that are online. Those women are often women that are in power or women that are uh, that have some power. So politicians, female politicians, journalists, public figures, um, experts in the academia, uh, those those women that engage with feminist debates. Um, and, and we've seen it across different countries. In our country, we can, for example, outline the behavior that has taken place against Associate Professor Susie Wilde and... Um, at the recent, I mean, the past couple of years, uh, the behavior that we've seen uh, against the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Um, those, you know, they're sort of like stories that are fake story, image, 
uh, that are misogynistic, that show them as stupid or untrustworthy or uh, sexually over, uh, overtly sexually um, uh, pictured. So it's, it's really quite bad. But what happened on the social media is that you have an amplification of those behaviors. So people on the Internet are able to organize and finance gender disinformation campaigns. And the design of the platform are, in fact, contributing to uh, biased social norms against women in power. And it also increased them uh, because the algorithms are made in order to be amplifying those messages. And this serves some companies' interest at the expense of women's rights and social uh, progress uh, towards gender equality. And so do you think these social networks then are going to ultimately um, counteract progress made towards gender equality? So, yeah, I mean, I think those issues are very serious issues. On a personal level, I think women suffer from those behaviours psychologically, socially. uh, They have um, uh, economic impact, but um, directly they affect women's freedom of expression. Um, as a result of this sort of abuse or the, 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 them witnessing the, this sort of uh, uh, misogynistic behavior, when young women report that they are discouraged from uh, seeking leadership role or they limit their expression, you know, they self-censor themselves, for example, or sometimes they completely um, disengage from social media. Um, so this has some economic impact, of course, for them, but also for the society as a whole, because a whole lot of talent then are not um, being included on those uh, platforms. Um, for some, you know, they lose their job or uh, their social status. Um, and, and if we think it's bad for women, it's always worse for women at the intersectionality of vulnerability. So black women or Muslim women or young girls are more, you know, vulnerable in those spheres. So... Um, I think that online gender-based violence is an, well, I think, I know because this is the research that shows that online gender-based violence is an expression or an extension of the uh, offline issues. So the, the, the fact that there is offline misogyny um, is, uh, is just like a, a continuum of violence against women. It's it spilled into the, into the media, into the social media, which in turn, amplifies it. So it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. Uh, one of the problems is obviously that the, um, the, the tech industry itself is very gender imbalanced, uh, that the tech sector itself is, has a lot of gender bias and a lot of the tools and the, yeah, the, the tools that are being created, um, uh, re- you know, replicate, translate the structure of those bias into the social media platform. And of course, the, the, the pandemic has contributed to amplify all of that because as more women have been requested to be uh, online during the pandemic, um, they also have um, been facing more abuse uh, online. So it's kind of like, a, you know, the more people, the more, the more women, the more abuse. And it's kind of this continuum. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite worried about it. And so if we want to try and stop these misogynistic views from being proliferated through social media, 
Um, do you think there is a need for governments to regulate these social networks um, and the content they promote? And what would this regulation look like in your view? All small questions then. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, uh, so I'm a lawyer. So I, I and I, I'm a lawyer that uh, thinks that government should intervene in this sort of issue. So there is a need for regulation. What we need to start with is to realize that there are some major gaps in the research around those questions, uh, around also what are the best solutions. So, for example, the kind of thing that we know is that any uh, degradation of uh, women's rights uh, leads to degradation of, uh, uh, sorry, any degradation of women's rights leads to degradation of human's rights. And so, um, you know, if you have degradation of human rights, this leads to, um, uh, you know, the the the, the the uh, corrosion of human rights in general. And so if we don't have um, uh, freedom of expression for everyone, for women, it also means we don't have freedom of expression for everyone. And this means ultimately that the powerful and the bullies have all of the voice online. So it's really important. In terms of recommendations, so one of the things that we need to uh, do to think about is... um, uh, having a sort of common uh, definition. So understanding who are the victim is one of the problems because women who do not uh, engage on social media, they can still be victim of non-consensual pornography or hate speech. So the uh, Andrew Tate example is a good one. So his misogynistic uh, discussion online, they impact women in general, even though they're not watching their videos, they impact their children's lives, they impact a whole lot of people. So it's, it's important to think that, you know, it's not because you are online that you are necessarily the victim. How to regulate? So one of the questions, well, your big question is whether to regulate the content of those platforms or the industry. I think we should regulate both. The first um, is I think the tech industry does not work uh, in a vacuum. Uh, the tech industry is part of our society and we have rules in our society and we have established some value, including ge- the value of gender equality. And so um, those tech industries should be made to be um, a, um, accountable and transparent and have representation. Um, we should uh, work towards the increase of representation of women in the tech industry. This, I mean, is not necessarily the, the only solution, but it's one of the solutions that would lead to a better understanding of what is a safe environment, online environment. Um, we should be making those tech industries uh, able to access uh, give us access to data to build capacity to understand uh, social media data and the insight and uh, of the of the online gender based violence. We should also make them re- uh, accountable for creating platforms that are conducive to women's safety and also to make them accountable and also make them transparent in relation to better product and algorithm uh, design. Um, the other thing is in terms of content, obviously, uh, we already have some uh, cyber crimes, uh, legal instruments against cyber crimes, uh, and most countries have those. So it's not impossible, but those, uh, those uh, cyber crimes are quite limited in their scope, and, um, and they don't necessarily always tackle gender-based violence. We need to be very clear that those issues are serious. They're serious online and they're serious offline, and we need to implement them. So what we need to have is 
adequate and enforceable legal sanction because the normalization of abuse and its impunity means that people do it more and more. And as I said, it's amplified online. And we need to also create support for support mechanism for victims um, through reparation procedure, um, restitution, rehabilitation, um, this sort of things, the, the guarantee of non-repetition. Um, we need to probably have a lot of international collaboration. And we saw that this was, this is something that has kind of like started to happen following the Christchurch uh, calls, you know, like a, the, the, this collaboration on hate crime that are uh, race-based. Uh, we need to have the same sort of like behavior in terms of uh, in terms of gender equality. Um, my colleague, um, Dr. Cassandra uh, Mutwe, she works on UN legal instruments, and she showed that already we have some instruments that already exist and could be just uh, made stronger. Uh, in order to implement those issues. So, yes, both um, the tech industry and the content should be regulated. Excellent. Thank you very much for joining me on the show, Anik. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Excellent. That was University of Canterbury Law Professor Anik Masalo talking about gender equality in the age of social media. That was a Radio 1 91FM podcast. But find more at r1.co.nz.